All right, guys, welcome to another episode of CGF Recaps. That is Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps, where I talk about the latest and greatest things that I caught during the week, usually TV shows, films, sometimes books, mostly Asian dramas. And that's what I'm going to be going over today. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. I also do collaborations with fanbros.com. And I've got another podcast called People of Culture Podcast that also goes up on Mondays as well. So check that out as well. You can find this podcast and everything else uh, through iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher. Uh, you can also find this particular podcast through Anchor and Pocket Cast as well. So, I mean, if you guys want to hit me up, Anchor is the best way. You can download the app. It lets you do your own voices. And if you guys do, I can put you on to the episode. It's like a little call-in kind of section. Or you can hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you're thinking about. What you're doing, the hashtag is CGF Recaps. Uh, you can also hit me up through my website. So all of that, all of that. If you want to, you know, share your opinion on the same things that we're watching together, or if you think I should catch something new, if you just want to say, Hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate the highs. So all of that is happening. So as you know, I'm going to be going over my DC TV per usual. So I'm going to be hitting on Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning. I'm going to be hitting on Magicians per usual. I also caught Ready Player One this week. So I'm going to be going deep into my feels about Ready Player One. As a heads up, spoilers all the time. I go deep into spoilers. I ain't scared of no spoilers. So if you haven't seen any of the shows that I'm about to drop, please, please, Take a break here, check them out, then come back so we can discuss. And you guys can tell me your opinions and I can share my opinions. And it's a conversation, I'm supposed to go back and forth. So all of that, all of that good, good stuff. So we're gonna break all of that down. I'm gonna get into some Asian dramas. I managed to finish some, I'm continuing others. It's a process for everything. It's my first week back after doing some traveling. So I'm ready, I'm ready to digest everything that's come through. So. All of that, all of that. So that's gonna be coming up real soon, right after this. All right, so we're gonna be starting off with Legends of Tomorrow, per always. It's a show that comes on Mondays, so why not start it off with the week? So Legends of Tomorrow, it's still in its, its campy, cheesy goodness right now. We got a whole episode of crazy for, I mean, it's legend level crazy, so. Here we go, we're gonna start with the biggest takeaways. Biggest takeaways for me starting off is the fact that Ava is a clone. Ava's a clone. And apparently there's a whole timeline in the future where she's just like being pushed out like a Barbie. Like she's like this combat Barbie-esque type person. They're helping, they're using her to help like police areas and give information to tourists and just like be an all around caretaker for some reason. They left the door wide open to get the rest of this backstory. Like, why was there a fake family that she had? And uh, what does Rip know that the rest of us don't? Because there was some information missing from the database regarding Ava's background. Just a lot of a lot of questions. And, you know, we got to see Ava and uh, the captain back together. So that was cool. Ava and Sarah back. I still think it was premature to break up with her, but, you know, it's legend. So we're going to have a back and forth, so. That's something that's gonna go down. 
But it was cool to see them team up one more time. And it was cool to see Ray in action. Ray, as everybody knows, is my favorite. So it's nice to see him useful and not just, you know, using that big egg brain of his. I mean, the brain is sexy, but it's nice to see him actually use his fist. Like, it's, it's nice. And not rely on his Adam suit, which was cool. He was, he was literally just like getting thrown into the action. I think he was just out geeked. Usually, usually he's like the nerd or the geek that's in there, but he got outclassed by the other, the other agent guy. So that was something that definitely happened. Uh, Kuwasa died. What? Huh? I did not see that coming. I did not see them killing off Kuwasa in the midst of the story about the totem. So, I mean, the ongoing saga with Kuwasa was that she was the forgotten legacy. She was the far, forgotten descendant. Her, there was a whole situation where Zambezi was under attack, basically. And her mother had a choice to make and she decided to save her sister, who is the whole reason we kind of got the Kawasa storyline in the first place. So the vixen that we know, the vixen in our current timeline, uh, is, is getting hurt because they're without the spirit totem, which means it hasn't been passed down, which means that, you know, it's messing with her timeline. So she's still doing like the superhero thing, but without the totem. Not the smartest thing, but I guess they're trying to establish that, like, you know, she's a hero no matter what. So uh, they go, the legends go to check on her. Nick and Wally decide to go. Amaya decides to stay on the ship because she's a captain. And uh, they just go to check on her. We don't see Vixen at all, which I think is a shame. We should we, we should see her face every so often, but whatever. We didn't. It was mostly about Nick and Kuwasa and Wally's interactions and then that leading into Damien Dark. Uh, on the one hand, I can't blame Kawasa for being as salty as she is. She was literally left to die. Granted, her mother did not know that she survived the attack, but she was still a little girl on her own. And the fact that she's got this water totem now and who she's aligned herself with, you know, I mean, it, just, it doesn't seem that far-fetched that she would have gone down the road that she has. And then I love the come around, you know, like Amaya finally seemed to reach her and was like, listen, you know, you need to stop being so selfish and we need to think need to think about the better good for once. And she does. And she gets killed for it. So she goes back and tries to save her her grandmother after everything goes down. Um Mollus? 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 He had the, he's been wearing the, the spirit totem as Nora for some time. And he puts some kind of control on it, but the totem makes it back to Amaya, because Kawasa gets it back. And they give it to Amaya, and it's supposed to be a trap of some sort, apparently. Amaya goes to use it, and Miles is all like, no, it's still under my control. And then two seconds later, Amaya's like, no, it's not. It's under my control. Legend fight. And then Kawasa tries to, to jump in there and save her grandmother. Miles kills her with no hesitation. Takes the water totem right back, rips it out of her chest, literally disappears. And, you know, we're kind of left with Kwasa being like, all right, grandmother, it's up to you. You need to continue the legacy. La, da, 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 da. You need to go back to Zambezi and, and save it, basically. Which has been the ongoing story for Amaya for two seasons now. For two seasons, it's been about how she needs to get back into her timeline, be with her people, and make sure that this totem gets down to the descendants she's got right now. The only way for that to happen is for her to not be with Nick, get back to Zambezi, fail at saving Zambezi, and make sure that her grandchildren get, get these totems. No pressure. I mean, we've kind of been circling around this storyline a while now. I kind of feel like we should have had a resolution to it, 
for some reason, they're just dragging it out. I don't know why they think we care about Nick and Amaya. I, I don't, maybe it's, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who doesn't care about Nick and Amaya. I don't buy this great love story we're supposed to be getting from them. I really don't. I, I partially think that's because they kind of threw it at us. Like we had one episode where I guess they were supposed to be bonding or something. And they were just instantly a couple and instantly in love. And then ever since then, it's been them fighting the fact that they're in love. Whether, I don't care. Mm, whatever. Either she makes it to Zambezi or she doesn't. We all know she's going to. We know that the vixen that we were introduced to in the Arrowverse is going to be the vixen going forward. She's going to make it. Or, best case scenario, Kawasa takes up the um and she becomes vixen. I'm kind of hoping for that. But either way, that means Nick's out the picture. So I don't care. I don't care what that's going to, how that works or whatever. I do care about Nick and Damien Dark team up. That was a team up I didn't think we were going to get or that I was going to enjoy. I love that. Well, A, Nick's dumb enough to trust Kawasa. She ties him up. She drugs him up so he can't use his power. And then he's surprised when she betrays him. She kind of leaves him to Damien Dark and Mollus. And Damien's kind of going through it right now. He wants to protect his little girl, which is Nora. But at the same time, he definitely sold her to Mollus. And now he's kind of reaping the consequences of that. And he's torn. And I love that uh, him and Nick are trying to create like this safe space so that he can vent. And Nick is totally utilizing the fact that he's, either way, he's going to die. Almost the legends kind of get themselves involved. So he might as well take up the time he's got. And he's him and Damien are just trying to like talk through some feelings. <laughs> but at the same time, they've got to keep up appearances that he's being tortured. So like pretending to like hurt him. <laughs> and he's like, okay, you gotta really sell it. That was really cute. I love the team up. I love their back and forth. It was, it's very witty and very fast and very funny. So, I mean, we're not gonna get a whole lot of that. Damien Dark is cemented as a villain. But I hope we get a little, another sneak peek of that. I like their their repertoire, their back and forth. It was. It was a highlight with, that I didn't think we were going to get at all. Um, I also love that we got uh, a Zari and Mick matchup. They're two of like the most, I don't want to say isolated, but like loner-esque type individuals where, you know, they're very much like, we don't need anybody. Quite clearly they do. And Mar Zari is tasked with trying to train Mick. Whew, girl. And in the middle of that, she's celebrating Ramadan. Like she's she's following Ramadan and trying to train him. I don't know how she's doing that and not eating. She barely knows how she's doing that and not eating. And it turns into like a whole smackdown <laughs> between the two. But at the end of it, you know, they kind of like come together and Mick, Mick respects her a little bit more in his own Mick way. And likewise, she also respects Mick in his her own Zari way. But it was it was a cute little anecdote we got. Uh, right now, the Legends are currently are winning in the totem race. They've got the spirit totem back. They still have fire, which is around Mick. They've got the air totem, which is what Zari's got. They've got the death totem locked up in that box. And they've got an earth totem also still locked up in the box. The only thing they're missing right now is water. And Mollus took that back. So there you go. And that's about it for Legends. That's about it for Legends. The main focus was the fact that Ava is a clone. I... I feel like we don't have that much more time with the legends. So I'm interested in knowing how they're going to wrap all of this up. It's Con Constantine's coming back again at some point. And supposedly we're going to get another Jax, uh, you know, introduction into the episode at some point as well. 
But who knows when that is? Are they going all the way out till May? Or is it only going out till April? Supergirl's coming back in April. So I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. Hopefully soon. But yeah, so that's that's pretty much it for Legends. Legends is pretty cut and dry. It's pretty, pretty just camp action goodness and then very little story. <laughs> but I like it. I like it as it is. So yeah, so right after this, we're going to be moving on to Black Lightning. All right, Black Lightning is back. And you know what? Again, these these episodes move pretty fast. We get a lot of information. Uh, sometimes it treads water with the information that we're given. Like we're, we're like slowly fed this information. But, you know, again, it's a mid-season show. I'm, I'm, I'm really trusting the writers here. It's still my favorite DC TV show right now that is on air. So all of that's happening. So into the takeaway. So this episode gave us a, a reunion of sorts with Jefferson and Gamby. Uh, it did require Gamby to get the ever-living beat out of him uh, in order for that to happen. But, you know, I think Gamby had it coming. So karma. Um, but, yeah, so uh, basically ASA is, like, fed up with Gamby. He was supposed to be doing a whole bunch of things that he did not do for them. And they're like, listen, you're going to tell us who Black Lightning is. We know you know who it is. You've spent way too much time in Freeland to not know who he is. You know, they're slowly piecing together that A, he had a relationship with Jefferson's father, the guy who was threatening to uncover all of their doings in the first place. B, he adopted Jefferson. He became a father figure to Jefferson in the midst of all of this. It was real suspect. C, Jefferson definitely was one of the kids who was taking their vaccines or their whatever drug they were pushing at the time. And they know that he's one of the surviving kids of that. And he's the only one they didn't grab. And now he's, it's very coincidental that he is also uh, there and surviving around the same time that there's a dude calling himself Black Lightning. So there's a lot of pieces that are coming together for them. Um, I think the way that the the main head honcho ASA guy put together was that, I well, okay, again, I don't know. How did he know that there was an electrical outage? He wasn't even there. Anyway, so um, yeah, there was a whole part where they tried to use Jefferson as leverage to get at Gamby, not realizing at the time that Jefferson was Black Lightning. As soon as they brought Jefferson to Gamby and their evildoer hideout. It's very much cookie cutter, evildoer dark space. Uh, the light in it flickers and goes out. And then when it comes back on, Gamby has taken care of the other people. So they're like, well, the light, the power went out. At the same time he was down there, he's clearly black lightning. We got to do something about that. So now ASA more than ever is getting back on them, but at least Jefferson and Gamby are talking again. So that's good. And here's hoping that Gamby plays a role in helping Jennifer out with her powers because girl. Anyway, so I, I will be getting into Jennifer in just a minute. Uh, also, we learned that there is a shitload of comatose black people in pods just chilling. Just there's like a, a warehouse full of them. Some of them are the kids that they did the initial testing on. Some of them are new kids that are having reactions to green light. What are they doing with their farm of black people? I don't know. It's really weird and crazy creepy, but you know, that's the show. That's the show. We'll see. We'll find out. I, I kind of am hoping that we're going to get a bunch of new superpowered individuals at the end of all of this. Clearly, we're going to get to a point where they're going to try and free them. I hope it doesn't end 
in the murder of all of these people. I do hope we get some more metas and it, it would be really interesting to see like how the rest of that grows. I'm not familiar with Black Lightning's comics, so I don't know if he's got a whole team around him or if he's the only one or if they're even following the comics at this point. Was there a whole situation where they were just farming Black people at some point? I'd love to know. So if you know, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter or Anchor or anywhere because I, I have a thousand questions. Like, Lala, is he a character from the comic book? Who is he supposed to be? He was reading Egyptian literature, right? Talking to his dead cousin, another person he killed, another person who becomes a tattoo on him. Is he supposed to be Anubis? Is he like a, a type of Anubis and that he can talk to people that he's killed in the past and get life advice from? More questions. Between the comatose farm of black people and Lala's weird ability. I'm still not sure how this is going to help him in fighting or if he's just crazy. And hopefully answers are to come. Hopefully that's coming. Which brings me to Miss Jennifer. Okay, I know that she is a resident teenager and I know that means angst. That means a lot of feelings. That means not accepting things at face value, which usually I can handle. Usually, you know, the story is moved along enough that it makes sense as to why she would be feeling the way she is. When it first came out that she's got powers and she went into full freak out mode, I understood that because her whole life she's, I mean, as much as they try to keep it away from Anissa at the same time, uh, Jennifer's a baby. So they doubly tried to make her not as cognizant of how dangerous the world around them is. Fair. So she finds out this is happening. You know, a lot of her belief systems start to crumble. Fair. Makes sense. Uh, then we got the second episode. Or was it the second episode? I think it took a little break. But now we're into this new episode where she's still dealing and reeling from the fact that she's got these powers. And she's just very much pouting and just like, no, I don't want it. I can't believe we have it. I don't feel any type of responsibility to help people. Okay, I, I understand not trying to you know feel a responsibility to help people, not immediately jumping on this bandwagon of I'm going to be a superhero. But I also don't understand this drag out of her emotion-filled rants. It, I, it just, it feels dumb. It just, ugh, it just, ugh. just, just, ugh. Her whole showdown with Anissa is brief. It's not even that long, but it just feels redundant, I guess. Or maybe I'm just impatient. It's probably that I'm just impatient and I wanted to hurry up and get over it so we can get family lightning up and strong. That'd be wonderful and great if we can get it. I like that they established that although she's got a power similar to her father's, it works in a different way. Her father is a battery, is like her mom explains, you know, he pulls uh, this electricity from other places and stores it to use. Whereas Jennifer is a generator, meaning that she can create this electricity herself. I wonder what that means health-wise, but you know, whatever. And is this, is this gonna move us forward with Jennifer becoming part of Family Black Lightning? Is, it, is that gonna, she gonna eventually get this costume from Gabby? Hopefully sooner rather than later because Pouty Jennifer is not fun. She's, ugh, she's annoying. Uh, what else? Oh, we also know that ASA finally knows who Black Lightning is. I think I just said this. I probably might've just said it. But anyway, so they, they fully know now. And not only that, they've had a mole this whole time. Gamby makes allusions to the fact that they probably have another scout. They probably have somebody else 
who is able to pinpoint which kids are on the green light and which kids uh, they should definitely be taking to their black people farm. And I'm thinking it's a drug dealer. I'm thinking it's one of the dealers that's actually handing out the drugs. But no, their mole is the vice principal of the school that Jefferson is a principal of. And it's the vice principal that quite clearly has feelings for Jefferson, who like, you know, I mean, she gave him a little sass here and there. We got that as our preview reminder of who she was, that she's the vice principal. But like, this lady's been giving him like lingering longing looks for the, almost the whole season. And she's, you know, she's very much that person who's like, I'm right there for you, for anything you need. And then like, you know, slow look to him, anything. So we find out she's a mole and the head ASA guy is telling her that she knows she's going to step up her game and I, I guess go after Black Lightning now at some point. And you see her trying to keep her best stone face when she's looking at him and is like, all right, I'm working on it. And as soon as she turns away, the panic constricts on her face. I'm, I'm interested to see where this is going to go. Does she become a superhero at some point? Is she going to be an anti-hero? Is she going to die? I kind of like this lady and I would have loved to learn more of her backstory, but who knows where they're going to go with this. If she's just going to be a stone cold villain or, or what, or what, but it, I like that twist. I like that big reveal of like, well, here we go. Here's the other person in the middle of this chess match. Now, what are we going to do with it? So we as the audience know that that's going on. I wonder how long it's going to take for Team Lightning to figure out what's going on and what the fallout of that will be. So, so yeah, so all of that, all of that is happening. I watch all these shows on Amazon. So I'm sure there's a, a preview for the next episode. I just have not caught it yet, but you know, I'm, I'm, I can wait on it too. Even though, you know, I constantly say I'm not afraid of any spoilers. I'm also not, I'm also not actively trying to chase this stuff down. If I come across it, great. If not, then I'm I'm happy to wait until we get the next episode. By the time this podcast comes up, it'll be coming on really soon anyway. So all that's going on. And that is pretty much all I got from Black Lightning this week. Like I said, we got a lot more information, but not a whole lot of forward movement in terms of like finding resolutions for everything. I guess we're still in the middle of the groundwork of, groundwork of finding out all of the problems that they're going to have to face before they can start to smooth things out. So, so we'll see. We'll see where everything goes. So right after this, we'll be getting into the magicians. Okay, so magicians had a new episode that came out this week. Magicians. Where are we going with this? Okay, so my biggest takeaways with magicians is that seriously, how is the quest still not done yet? How we now know where all seven keys are. I guess they're trying to say like the holdout is getting it from the fairy realm. The fact that that you know the last key they need is in the fairy realm, and the fairies need it to keep that realm alive. Like it's not going to function without that key there. Uh, and we also find out that once they get all these keys and they open that door. They might be in for a world of chaos because there's a danger lurking behind the door. So the show kind of tackled how to find resolutions to both of those things. Long story short, we find uh, that Margot and Elliot are striking a deal with the fairies again to have them take over all of Fillory or a portion of it. 
so that they can live there and breed and increase their numbers because apparently they are having issues trying to get it done in whatever fairy realm they're in anyway so they can get that key. And then we also have Julia going on her own side quest to find out what's behind that door and how dangerous that is, which gives us the return of Renard. Renard. You know what? I think we should get more Renard. Yes, he is terrible. He is terrible. Did he help make the beast? No, I don't think he helped make the beast, but him and the beast kind of go blow for blow for a little bit there. He's as much of a monster as the beast. He goes, apparently he just goes on this, he went on this spree of just raping hedge witches here and there because crazy town. Um, you know, he also tried to murder Julia several times on top of raping her. So all of that, you know, he's just not good. He's not a good person. He's not a good entity as it were. Um, but he's also the reason that Julia's got his power. So we see Julia and Renard kind of meet up again at the behest of Penny 23, because timeline 23 Penny is still in the game with them here. Uh, they decide to use Renard to find out what's behind the door. And through Renard, they find out that the earliest creations of whatever these powers that be that helps create magic and these worlds in the first place, those are their earliest creations. And they were like the, the, the terrible decision creations. Like they were, they were the ones that they were like, no, there's no way we're going to be able to do anything if we just let them keep roaming. So we're going to lock them up behind this thing and be done with it. So we're like, uh, great. We also find out that Reynard's got a God-killing weapon. So it turns out his stepdad is Hades, which means his mother is Persephone. And Hades gave him this gun with a demon-killing bullet. So it turns out it's the same bullet that Julia and Katie decided to create back when, back when Julia had no shade left and was trying to get her revenge on Reynard. And he has it for some reason. I guess just in case Julia ever came back or anything came back because he wasn't making friends anywhere. So there's that. He's now just living a kind of human life right now. So, yeah. So that that's happening. Uh, not only that, but um, I was kind of with Penny when he was like, okay. Like after they got their, their information, they were like, all right, well, let's go. It was like, uh. The the dude that literally turned your lives upside down, did ridiculous, monstrous things to you, is standing right there, and you're just gonna walk away. And you know, they they try to give like the moral high ground answer of like, yes, we just want to make sure he reserved, you know, got his justice, and it looks like that's what's going through. I think it's a mistake. If anything, we've learned from magicians, it's that if you've got an enemy, you've got to terminate that enemy as soon as you come across them. So clearly, A, that either means Reynard's going to be staying in the game to come back again somewhere to mess up and fuck up something else, or they're going to change him into an antihero. I highly doubt the antihero. So more than likely, he's going to come up, back up at a very inopportune time and fuck over somebody. So that's happening as a thing. Uh, what else we got? We got... Alice continuing to prove that she is not to be trusted ever. I don't understand why Quentin keeps giving Alice a thousand opportunities to screw him over, but sure, why not? So Alice is still in the midst of her, we need to find answers to this quest thing. And I'm still working with the library thing. 
And so they kind of find themselves at like a crossroads where they need answers for some, well, well they're talking about the monster again. So they're trying to figure out what, what monsters thing is behind the door. Alice is like, we can talk with the library and see what they've got. They literally have books of knowledge. They probably have an answer. And Quentin's like, it's still the library. They literally killed two of our friends, right? You know, a couple minutes ago. Like it's not, <laughs> like we're, they're not to be trusted either. And Julia chimes in like, yes, you know, they're, literally grinding fairy limbs so that they can snort them in order to continue doing magic. So, yeah. But Alice is still like, well, you know, we still need to use them. It's like, okay. So Quinn's like, sure, go for it. Go ahead and hit the library. So he goes to the library. They manage to talk Penny 23 into astral projecting to the library to find out what's going on. He does. And Alice, again, strikes a deal with the library where they're like, okay, here's what you can do. This is how you're going to uh, help them get the door open for magic. Once you do, you got to put this siphon on the magic for us, basically to lock in them being able to control the magic so that it can't get turned off again with, you know, without them, but also to control who gets that magic. So I guess to, I guess a preemptive, preemptive measure so that someone doesn't turn off magic again. All of that's happening. And Alice is just like, cool. Yeah, whatever. And <laughs> goes back. Apparently, do the siphon thing. You have to drain the ability from from somebody who already has power, which leaves it to be Julia. And she's like, "Could that kill her?" And the librarian's like, "I mean, yeah, probably." And Alice is like, "Okay, whatever." And so she leaves. <laughs> Penny manages to relay the information to the others before Alice gets back. Alice gets back, tells them half a story. And then Quentin, a short while later, Quentin points out that nah, she's only telling them half the story. And then we just kind of go back into this cycle of why aren't you siding with us, Alice? And Alice being like, well, you know, you can't trust everything and going through her whatever, whatever, blah, blah, blah issues. Listen, I think Alice has a lot of promise as a character. She has definitely been through the ringer. Like she's, she's never had one of the easier storylines ever. I don't understand her current situation of trying to protect magic at all costs right now. She like literally moments ago, she was all about trying to find more answers about magic because she was she was that entity. Why well, do I keep forgetting what they call Niffin? She was a Niffin, which was just like pure magic or whatever, whatever. And now she's like transgressing into almost a librarian being like, well, we need to be more mindful of who can do what and when and how and why and blah. And I'm not sure why we need that or why why she's got to be the one to go down that road. Like, eh, eh, boo, Alice. So that's happening. We also got, oh, a little bit of Penny and Katie match up there. So it was pretty evident that eventually Katie was going to run into this Penny and she does. And she reacts predictably you know she thinks it's her penny and she hugs him and then realizes it's not her penny and gets real mopey about it and for some reason now whenever she's trying to tap into people or tap into talking to her penny who she thinks is still part of the quest it just reaches out to the penny 23 person who apparently i guess has taken up the mantle of doing the quest I don't know what this means going forward. Penny 23 technically is disposable. We still have other Penny who's in the library eating cupcakes and making friends. So what are they doing exactly with this? Not only that, but this Penny 23 is in love with Julia. 
So even though he understands that the Julia that he's currently working with is not his Julia, there's he still has a small hope there that it could go that route, that he could like, you know, rekindle this lost love type of thing, especially now that he's stuck in this world. And it's interesting to see where that's going to go. I cannot say enough how much I like this Penny 23. He's not as arrogant. He's a lot easier <laughs> to understand. Maybe that's it. I think that he's a lot easier to understand and therefore I like him a lot more than the last Penny we had. That Penny was arrogant as hell. And just, I mean, he had his good moments, but most of the time he was just getting on nerves. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes and what this really is going to do between his relationship with Katie right now and his relationship with Julia. Like, are we going to get a rekindling of him and Katie? Or are we going to get a rekindling of him and Julia at some point? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But that's going down. Um, also, shout out to Fillory's Animal Kingdom side because they wrote in Margot to be their leader. And she is now the queen of Fillory right now, even though Elliot was trying to run the campaign. It is hysterical. And it's all is based around the fact that, A, Margot easily struck up a conversation with a talking bear, as one does. And B, it's Margot. So she doesn't have any qualms about anybody's sexual, you know, tastes or quirks or likes or whatever. And we find out that it's like a, it's a little taboo, even in Fillory, where you have talking animals, that any kind of romantic or sexual relationship between a human and an animal is still like looked down upon. But she's one of the few like higher ups that has like actually talked with the animals about it. I guess everybody else just ignored them completely. So the animals get together and write her in and they vastly outnumber the people in Fillory. So that's how we get Margo back on the throne. It's cool and creepy and great all at the same time, all of that together. So we got all that as well for this episode. Oh, we didn't really get anything with, with, oh, is it Marina? Marnie? Marina? That chick. The other hedge witch girl. I mean, she came through that portal with them, but I guess we're saving her for later or something. So that's gone. And we didn't get too much Josh, which I'm kind of thankful for because we're just enough. We did get him do his little recap to Penny 23. So everybody knows where everybody's standing, but. Yeah, I'm a little joshed out, so I'm nice. It was nice to get a little break from all of that. And we'll just be moving on into the next episode at some point for next week. I want to know how they're going to end, roll all this up. How is this all going to end and get tied up? And it's never going to be a neat bow. It's, it's magicians. It's never going to be a neat bow. It's going to be a messy one, if a bow at all. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do with this next episode, how much more story there's actually left to tell and well actually when when is the last episode so i'll be looking into all that stuff hopefully pretty soon and see where that goes but yeah so right after this we will be jumping into ready player one and all of my heavy feelings about it right after this all right so ready player one dropped this weekend well, technically, you know what? I think like the premiere premiered like on a Wednesday so that people could get into it Thursday, Friday, and into the weekend. I caught it Friday night. And okay, so I had pros and cons about the movie. 
So let's get into this biggest takeaway format. So I read the book, Ready Player One. Uh, I said in a previous podcast probably that I was recommended to me by uh, Instagram friend, which is the real geek guy that's happening on Instagram. Uh, he let me know that, you know, it was one of his favorite books and that there was an audible, uh, uh, can't even talk, an audible version, audiobook version that's read by Will Wheaton. And I got mad excited. Will Wheaton is a long time standing crush of mine. I loved him as Wesley Crusher in Star Trek. Who didn't? So I didn't got downloaded the audiobook version. I enjoyed the the format, the reading of it. It was was awesome. It was real easy to read. It went by pretty fast. And it 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 read like a fan fiction. So, you know, it you've got your typical lead who's the loner and gets all the specials basically he's the most specialist of the specials and he saves the world gets the girl pretty much wraps it up and ends the fun parts about ready player one was all of the 80s nostalgia i love the 80s decade i love all of the aesthetics that come with the 80s decade so that was right up my alley all the pop culture he was dropping there's a lot of 80s there's a lot of early 90s stuff that's all in in the books that I had fun reading about. I also loved that, you know, there were some diversity in the characters. We had two Japanese characters in the books, Daito and Shoto, and we also had a black female character in the books that, you know, we find out later that it's a black female character, uh, but in the books, you don't know that she is. You think she's a, a white, she plays an avatar that's like a white character. And what I liked what the book did around that was that they explained this whole part about basically racism and how that works and just how like, you know, through the Oasis, uh, this black female character found a way to like really prosper. Granted, it's not in the greatest of explanations, but you know, it's it's in a fan fiction format. So my expectations is of, of them uncovering or finding answers to anything was limited. But the fact that that was even in there was I do I was kind of really really surprised and taken aback that that was even touched on in the book. So I thought that was I thought that was really really cool. I mean the characters, any of the minority characters in the book still play like second fiddle to the lead, who is a white guy. But you know in the book I still enjoyed the ride. I still I still enjoyed it enough to just appreciate it for what it was, which is a fan fiction. It's a fan fiction. So I went into the movie with, the, you know, not as high expectations either. Spielberg himself has gone on record saying that it is a movie and not a film. I take that to be that it is a popcorn entertainment type of movie, meaning you go in and you just enjoy the scenery, eat your popcorn, and that's it. It's real easy light, no super hard thinking required. That is definitely the case in Ready Player One, the movie. I mean, we'll go into the pros because let's start it off. Let's start it off super, super happy. It's great nostalgia. You got to see a lot of, like, if, especially if you were a 90s kid, you got to see a lot of characters and stuff that you grew up with on the screen, sharing the same space with a lot of characters that are coming out now. You get to see Tracer from Overwatch was in there. Chen Li from Street Fighter was in there. There were shout outs to Mortal Kombat in this thing. There's, I mean, I'm sure there's gazillions upon gazillions of Easter eggs in this thing. Chucky was in there. Beetlejuice showed up. Like, you know, and then of course, and you got that opening with Freddy Krueger, the Iron Giant. So all, all of that 
was on display in full, full glory. So you got all of that. And for a lot of people, that was really all they wanted. That's all they wanted to see was this mashup of things they loved around geek culture, especially geek gaming culture, and just enjoying it on screen. And that was enough. And the, the movie does a great job of that. It really does. Uh, we also got, oh, we got a little, I know what I did like that the movie did, that the book didn't. So I already gave my spoiler warning. Uh, there's two Asian characters in the book and in the film, Daito and Shoto. Um, I think they changed their names probably in the movie. I don't know. But in the book, there are two Japanese characters. One is older and one is pretty young. Uh, but for the movie, they made one Japanese and one Chinese. And Shoto is the younger one. He plays like an 11-year-old Chinese boy. And then you have Daito, who's a Japanese player. In the book, Daito takes this super seriously. He's, they even gave him a term oh, that I completely forgot and probably should have looked up. But basically, he's a shut-in. He doesn't even really communicate uh, with people in the real world at all. Everything is done through the Oasis uh, to the point where it's uh, the book points out that it's become like a, a situation in Japan because people will be playing in this, will be in the Oasis for so, so, so long. And when things start to fall apart, they don't know how to deal with what's happening in their virtual lives and they end up killing themselves. And they use that as an effect uh, to kill off Dido's character too. It is a cover. It turns out that the IOIs have actually murdered Daito in the book, but they use the cover of like him being a shut-in and like, you know, saying that it's an actual suicide when really they murdered him. And that, you know, that adds to the fuel of we need to stop the IOIs situation. But in the movie, they dismissed that entirely and they made Daito a kid and showed, you know, like Shoto is. And not only that, they had him in the finale it, more questions. We'll get to that. We'll get to that part. But yeah, so I like that they kept him alive. I like that they didn't have to kill him off like they did in the book because it, it was whew, it was brutal in the book. So it was nice to see that. I love that Lena Waithe was cast as H because she did a great job of it. She did a great, great job being H. She brought the comedy that she's known for. And there's a whole part that's that's around her character where she gets stuck in the Shining Hotel and she's in the the infamous scene where she goes into this bathroom and she sees like this beautiful naked woman, but quickly the naked woman turns crazy, gets real old and tries to kill her with a knife. So, and then we, we see her reactions to that and her team up and, and, and everything else. We see a little bit of her ingenuity when it comes to fixing things in the Oasis. Again, I don't know why that was important it's the oasis it's literally whatever your imagination can cook up you can do so why did we need somebody who could do repairs like why couldn't they just wish another vehicle but anyway that's again we'll get to that so but it was nice it was nice having lena away in there and uh and yeah i mean that's it for my for my pros for the most part this movie was just an enjoyable ride if you didn't read that much into it and accepted it at face value it was fine it was fine it was a movie that definitely took a lot from the source material and gave you the visual eye candy that you wanted. So you definitely got that. But now we're going to get into the to the cons, to the questions I had. Like, why did the people of color have to stay in the background as like the wacky sidekicks? Honestly, why? 
Why? Really? Truly? I mean, even in the book, as I mean, even though they are still secondary characters to the lead, I felt like, especially H, had a lot more meat to her story than we got with Lena's character in the film. So that's one thing. Um, I also wanted to know why so many things had happened so fast. Again, granted, it's they're going from a book to a film. They're going to have to cut some corners here and there and get things done. But I didn't understand why Artemis and Parsifal had to fall in love immediately. Immediately. Like when we finally meet Artemis, which isn't that far into the movie, it's like 10, 15 minutes into the film. He's already in love with her, like head over heels in love with this chick. We don't even get to figure out why her name is Artemis, like what the big deal is around her other than Parsifal's obsessed with her and she can kind of hold her own. Like that's it. That's all we really get. And as much as they tried to make her like a, not even really make her independent. They just made her more of like a, a, a very, well, she, she had a lot of ambition. She was a very ambitious, goal-oriented type of character. She was heavily reliant on Parzival to get all this stuff done, which kind of fell into the 80s trope. I guess if we want full 80s nostalgia, that's exactly how female leads worked in 80s films. Like as, as amazing as they could be, they never were at the same level as the male lead. The male lead of, of had to dominate over everything. So that's what we got in this film. So as even though Artemis knows the real truths behind what's going on with IOI in the real world, like the consequences of what's happening in the real world, and even though Artemis has gone as far as she has on her own with no help, and even though Artemis potentially knows more about what's going on with the guy who created the Oasis in the first place, all of that kind of gets dumbed down so that Parsifal can be the special. But that was in the book too, to be fair. That wasn't something the movie did by itself. That definitely was in the book. So, but I'm just not sure why we had to follow that suit in the movie. So that was something else. Uh, what else? We also had to believe, okay, like I said, they put a lot of things together super, super fast. So not only was Artemis and Parsifal in a love relationship um, nearly immediately, we also had to believe that Artemis managed to get the real life contact information of this little group of theirs with Daito and Shoto and H, the real world information, and got them all to be in Columbus, Ohio at the same time so that they could help a Parsifal in the real life. How? How? They barely establish that she's got a network in the first place. And when they do kind of establish that, it's a network that's kind of like, it's supposed to be like almost like a shanty town. Like this, these are all people who are supposedly rebels, which means that they're, you know, they're not rolling in dough. They're like trying to make things work as it goes. But for whatever reason, she had the means and the capability to get everybody in the same place. Sure, sure, absolutely. And then we also got Parzival launching his war on the rest of the IOIs towards the end. They did nothing in the film to really lead up with the fact that Parsifal is becoming a major figure that people are rallying behind at all. He's just a guy that found the key and seems to be in the leaderboard. That's it. We don't get a whole lot of interaction between him and the rest of the Oasis. We get snippets here and there of people like Fanny, 
around him, wanting to take pictures and knowing what his name is. But there's not a lot of establishment around the fact that people are following up with his ideals or his beliefs or that they're like, yeah, you know, we need to start questioning things. For all intents and purposes, all Parsifal's been doing is playing the game to get the rest of these keys. Like, that's it. He hasn't been making statements about things or throwing his opinion about stuff at all this entire time. And then all of a sudden, he makes a request for everybody to rally up behind him so that they can get this last key for the tournament, and they're just all in. Sure. Sure. Why not? Okay. Alrighty. Yeah, why not? Also... One of the, uh, this movie is filled with a lot of now you know moments, like, like this is what we're trying to teach you type moments. And one of them was about enjoying the real world as much as they enjoy the Oasis. Like the ending scene is with uh, Parsifal's character talking with the creator of Oasis. And he's basically telling him how like, you know, after all of the stuff that he's done and everything he's learned after creating this game, the biggest thing he learned was that it doesn't mean that much if you're not tied into the real world in some way. A, they don't really show what that means because the, the person that's giving him this advice, I guess they're trying to hop on the fact that he is filled with regret in the fact that he never did that, that he tried to live his life through this game. But it also didn't really follow the advice either so like after everything is said and done possible wins and manages to completely own the oasis his answer to to that posed like we should try to tie into the real world question is that he turns off the game two days a week and they make a mention of what these two days are and they're like tuesdays and thursdays how how does that do anything to tie people back into the real world it's literally two days is that going to force them to meet and talk with each other? Because it's not even two consecutive days. It's like two days out of the week. If anything, it just means like, okay, well, this is when I'm going to sleep and get food. Like, that's it. <laughs> like, that's it. I don't understand why they threw that in there or why they needed that to be a part of it. But sure. I don't even remember that being the message in the book. I want to say the message kind of was looped around the fact that we shouldn't be super reliant on these virtual lives that we've created because we're we're slowly but surely gaining away from you know human interaction but it it was it was really strange that that was what we were going to go with all of this but yeah i mean outside of those nitpicks the the movie is exactly what you think it's going to be it's still a fun ride. It's still visually spectacular and it's still very much a Spielberg film. And I feel like it's very toned down to match that PG-13 rating that it gave. I'm not sure why they went that route other than, I guess, movie studios feeling the need to tap into that younger audience. The core audience around Ready Player One, the books, were adults. They were adult people who understood the pop culture references that were littered throughout that book, well, basically painted throughout that book, and who appreciated them. It wasn't little kids just coming up and figuring this out. It was, it was mostly adults. So, but whatever, whatever. That's it for my Ready Player One situation. I, I'm kind of hoping they don't have a sequel because I don't know what they would do past what they are. They tied everything up into this one movie which is a good thing and a, and a bad thing, I guess, because 
the great thing is that they did tie everything up into this one movie. So they weren't trying to string it out to do like three parts. But I I don't know. I like the premise of Ready Player One. I like this idea that people were getting sucked into this virtual reality and that, you know, there was this person who kind of woke them up from that. But that's that's not the story that is actually playing out at all. So who knows? Who knows where that's going to go from, from here or if that's going to spawn into something else at some point, if they're going to figure out how to make a sequel. If they do make a sequel, I hope it's focused on somebody else like Daito or, or H or Shaito or Shaito, Shaito, Shoto or somebody because that, that would be an interesting take, an interesting story to see what they do moving forward, especially Shoto because he's so young. So, so yeah, so yeah, all of that, all that went down. But otherwise, I mean, like I said, it's, it's exactly what you're going to get. It's exactly what you see in those commercials and it's still, it's still fun. It's still a fun ride at the very least. So yeah, so yeah, let me know what you thought, if you read the book or not. Am I saying blasphemous things? Is this a Spielberg picture? Spielberg, Steven Spielberg picture or or what? But yeah, so right after this, we're gonna be talking about Asian dramas real soon. Okay, so I got back into the Asian drama swing of things. I took a long break between finishing why Yugi? Because A, um, it was it was really getting me in the feels. The Hong sisters have a knack for making you really care about these characters when you really don't think you're going to. They have a knack for it. So I, it was getting too heavy for me for a little bit there. And I needed a break because I knew the end was coming up, which meant that someone was going to die. Um, but I finally finished. I finally sucked it up and finished it. And eh, I mean... Okay, so we knew it wasn't going to be a happy ending story. This is a story based around the Monkey King. If you know anything about those legends, they very rarely end in a nice, neat, happy bow, ever. Usually there's a human sacrifice, and they learn something out of that. Uh, and that's exactly what we got with this. So our female lead dies. She sacrifices herself, as, as was fated, to save the world. And it does. It helps save the world. Um, but that means that her and, and our, the monkey king that we've got can't get together. And, oh my gosh, <laughs> Lee sung knows how to play tormented. Like it's oh, just flawlessly. We're like, you're like, no, don't, he needs her. Don't do it. Then just, ugh. I mean, I liked how they tried to give us a little happy hope at the end. Like, okay, yes, she did die, but... We are dealing with entities in both the heaven and hell realms, which means they have ties to the underworld realms. And we get her back for a little bit and we get her back and get her to have a, a, an actual you know, confession from the monkey king. You know, he tells her how he truly feels and that he is no longer being guided by, you know, the enchanted bracelet that's kind of been stuck on him for a while. Not only that, that, you know, there's there's hope for the future. Like he's going to find her reincarnation. He knows that she's going back to the underworld, but, you know, she's more than likely going to be reincarnated. So he basically leaves her with something so that he can spot her when when she does make her way back. And that's the hope that we're left with. I like that they tied up what was going on with, um, is it Maul? The other, the other demon, the bull one, Lucifer, basically, that uh, he finally realized where, I want to say it's, yeah, it's his son. His son is the one he had with the other 
heavenly deity. He finally figured out where that was. He Not only that, but he finally got her to rest. She, she's finally out of her loop of dying terribly. And she's been reincarnated as flowers. And I like that they use that as her trying to communicate with him to point him in the direction of their son. That was cute. And we got their little pairing, which was adorable. And and that's kind of how things ended. We got, uh, even even the pig got his resolution from being in love with that girl and the zombie cut to a degree. Like she got taken over by that priestess who for some reason or another did not believe she was a evil priestess. And then finally came to that conclusion as she was rotting away. So, but, but we got the resolution from that. The Buja finally got burned like she wanted to be so that she could rest. And the witch also finally understood her place and everything and managed to pass on her, her message to, to the, it's not, he's not a prince, to the pig, to the, the pig demon. So that was cute. So yes, I finished up that show. Um, I'm hoping we get another Hong sister show, but I hope it, they go back to like their, their silly comedy roots. I would love another coffee prince-esque type show. So I don't think they wrote coffee prince, but I would like something like that, please. So a little lighter, thank you. They are not listening to this, but you know, just I'll put it out there in the universe. Also, I'm still catching up with my dear boy. So my dear boy is still alive in Taiwan right now. It's an idol drama in Taiwan. Yugi was a Korean drama, just in case you didn't know. And uh, this idol drama is still doing like one episode per week. So it's, it's slow going, but it's finally getting good. So like I said, we're on like episode 15, 16 now. Um, it's really making me wonder how long this, this series is. <laughs> is it going to end in the 20s? We going out to like the 30s and 40s? Uh, so, but it's fine. It's finally getting good. So it's like, it seemed like the premise was going to be this woman has three men in her life. And I mean, it, like the little intro we get, the first guy she meets seems to like really be in love with her. And she's just like, you're a great friend and rolls on. The second guy she meets, she seems to be more invested in, but he is not invested in her. And she moves on. And then we meet, she meets up with the younger gentleman. She meets up with the, the kid who's 10 years younger than her. But I mean, in the intro, he's like holding a kitten and it's very friendly looking. It's not like romantic looking, but it's clear that these three guys are gonna be the ones that are in her life. And right now in the show, we're finally at the point where he realizes he's in love with her and is kind of forcing her to confront her feelings. And it's, it's being heavily hinted that she's in love with him too, but thinks that it's improper to, to even act on those feelings because he is so much younger than her. So that's where we are right now in the show. He's just done his confession and they've had like their, uh, so idol dramas in particular, especially if it's not a romantic comedy at all, they tend to do this thing where the leads finally realize that they both have feelings for each other and they fight them hard. Like, like they, they're both like, we can't accept it. There's a gazillion reasons why we should not do it. And they both kind of go at it. In this particular case, the younger kid is more like free willing and just like, I like you. I'm pretty sure you like me. We should explore this together. And the older woman is like, no, I'm so much older than you. <laughs> this is not proper. You should definitely be exploring this with somebody who's your age. Uh, you know, I shouldn't be the I should not be the one starting this in your life. I'm not exactly sure why this is so terrible. 
other than I could I guess a power thing, but he's not even working directly for her. Or are they trying to say that like it's is it improper because she can't have kids or something? And then that's what they're looking towards. Like I'm not exactly sure why this is terrible right now, but they're acting like it is. Like the the parents of the boy are just like trying to talk to her and to get her to like turn him away. And he and, she, and to her credit, she is. She's like, no, I'm also on board. I don't think this is proper, and I'm trying to shoo him away too. Um, the mother is good. The mother is a trip. She is by far my least favorite character. I don't know what she wants half the time. She is all over the place and just seems to be angry for the sake of being angry for some reason. I don't know if that's because she's got things unfulfilled or what, but she's just like this bitter person. And now that her son is like, yes, I'm in love with this with this woman that they know who's been like exceedingly kind to them and they actually like, she's like, no, she's going to ruin your life and like going down this rabbit hole of insanity right now. But so, I mean, that's why it's getting good. So, <laughs> so we're finally moving forward with their love aspect of this. And I'm interested to see where this is going to go. Is this going to be a situation where they're going through all of this and then they get together? Or is this going to end like some of their idol dramas do where they're going through all this and the lesson learned was just that, oh, we're a moment in each other's lives. I hope it's not that one. I hope it is the former and that they actually fall in love. But I mean, it's keeping my interest right now. And so I have to wait another five days for the next episode to drop and hopefully get translated in a reasonable amount of time. And we'll see where that goes. But yeah, that's it for my Asian dramas. I'm, I'm trying, I'm debating on whether or not to catch this other one. So there's another drama called Switch, another Korean drama, and it's being led up by one of my favorites. He also is part of the, um, oh my gosh, what is it called? Beautiful, You're Beautiful, You Are Beautiful, or Beautiful You? One of those. He was part of the boy band in that K-drama. And he was the he was the lead. He was the male love interest for that drama. He's in the show called Twitch right now, or Switch, not Twitch, Switch. But in order for me to watch that, I have to change this, the current subscription I've got. The one I've got for Vicky is the cheapest one. It's like $3.99. But in order to watch the show I want to watch, I have to switch to their like super premium one, which is like $10 a month. I mean, it's $10. I was paying that for Drama Fever easily. But <clears throat> I don't know. I just don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have to pay that. <laughs> but if I want to watch it, that's what I got to do. So I'm currently debating that. I'll get back to you as to whether or not I, I, I did totally cave in and go and watch it. I'm probably going to. I'm probably going to. But yeah, so that's what's happening also. But other than that, that's pretty much it. And this is where we're going to start wrapping everything up. I am the Kirby Geeky Fangirl, aka Joe. If, like I said before, you can catch me at KirbyGeekyFangirl.com over at FanBros.com. Also, I do fandom fashion sets. Um usually tied into what's happening currently. Like I just did one for Ready Player One where I talked about, um, <coughs> oh, excuse me, what type of avatars I would use uh, dipped in 80s nostalgia. There's a little show enough in there. And if you know what show enough is, I'd like you that much more. So kudos to you. There's also a little Shauna Emsford. She is from Gem in the Holograms. And there's also Wang Chi, who is from Big Trouble in Little China. So if you guys are interested in checking out those sets, please do so over at fanbros.com. Tell them I sent you. 
Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, also under Curvy Geeky Fangirl. Twitter gets interesting because character limits. There's no A and there's no I in Fangirl. So it looks like fur when you type it in. So, But all that's on my website as well. Like I said, the hashtag is CGF Recaps. Please, please, please let me know what you guys think, uh, especially on these shows. Are you guys watching Magicians? Do you think it's moving as fast as it should or... Or any of these shows? Do you think any of these shows are moving as fast as they can? Or are you are you excited for any future crossovers? DCTV is notorious for them, so it's interesting to see where all that goes. And if you're watching any Asian dramas, hit me up. Let me know what shows you're watching so I can check them out too. Because I'm always I'm always looking to add to the catalog of shows I've seen. So just let me know. Uh, but that's pretty much it. That's gonna wrap it up this week. I will get back to you guys next week with all the fun stuff. That I'll be catching and watching. I'm about to go see a very interesting play called Top and Bottom. Yeah, I'm just going to leave you with that title and let you wonder what that's going to be about. And I thought I will get back to you on it. So that's it for me. I hope you guys have a great week as always. And yeah, that's going to be it. All right. Bye.